The following sermon is from Christ Church Port Orange. For more information, find us online at joinwithjesus.org. Thanks for listening. Today's sermon is Adopted into Sonship. Adopted into Sonship. This comes from a biblical phrase that's in Romans and elsewhere, where our salvation is identified as being an adoption into sonship. If you really want to understand God's heart, you got to understand that your salvation is you as an orphan who has run away from the family being adopted into God's family. And so to begin this message, we're going to start with Psalm chapter 68, verses 5 and 6. And it says this, a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners with singing, but the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. God's identity is a father to the fatherless. We've got to understand that his heart for all of us is to be our father. And even though we have done things where we've left the family, right? What happened in the Garden of Eden? God is the father of Adam. And he says, Adam, everything I've got is yours. You can enjoy this whole garden. Just don't eat this one tree, the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat that. Because in doing that, you're going to leave my family. That's the act of leaving the family. In fact, that's represented by the fact that they had to leave the Garden of Eden. Adam ran from his family, but the father continually pursues his children and identifies, I'm the father to the fatherless. I want those children that no one else wants, even the ones that have left me, I want. A defender of widows is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. As we get into this message today, I want you to understand that it's God's will and desire and heart that lonely people, that orphans, that the fatherless, that widows, that people who are in need are set into families. And that's exactly what our adoption into sonship is. We're welcomed into this church family, this body of believers, and we're accepted and loved and forgiven all because of what Jesus has done for us that he paid the penalty for my sins on the cross. And now I'm able to be in fellowship with all of you and with him. He set us in a family. This is our father's heart. Aren't you glad having a body of believers that also believe in Jesus that can go through what can be a fairly difficult life at times together and trust God together, and pray together, and seek God together? Do you know that God wants that for every single person on earth? Not the least of which being orphans and the fatherless. There's a story in the Bible. We're going to read it today. It's the prodigal son. And the prodigal son is the story about all of us. You and I are the prodigal son. Adam is the prodigal son. We are descendants of Adam. We've taken God's creation and everything he's given us, and we've run off and squandered it and lived wickedly, using this incredible breath and body to do what's wrong, to be his father. Let's read it together. Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 24, says this. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth 
in wild living. This is what all of us have done. We've taken this body, we've taken this breath, we've taken our resources, and we go and we do wicked things. And we know that this isn't a trivial matter because the punishment laid on Jesus was due me for this, taking what God gave me and squandering it on wickedness. Thanks be to God that even though the wages of sin is death, my loving father made a way for me in Jesus. I can be totally forgiven of all of that. And that's what this story is. It's a story of redemption, continues on. Verse 14, after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. This is what happens. When we live in sin and we go and do wicked things, we end up in a pigsty in life. It brings all kinds of suffering. We see this all the way back at the garden. Even Adam eat the fruit. And what does God say to Adam? Does he say, oh, I put suffering in the earth? No, he says, cursed is the ground because of you, Adam. Because of what you've done. I made everything very good. Isn't that what Genesis says? Everything was very good. There was no suffering. There's no sickness. No one was committing sins. There was no death. What God created is very good. In fact, that's what he wants to restore us to. But what happens is we took what God gave us, this very good creation, and we go and we squander it living for things that don't matter, doing wicked deeds. And it brings us to this pigsty. We end up living in the mud. We're famished. We don't have what we need. And look at how this develops. It says in verse 17, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. We all have to have this moment where we come to our senses and we recognize that why am I living in rebellion to such a good God who has given me so many good things in life? Jesus said that he's, he's kind to the ungrateful and wicked. He's been kind to me before I knew him. He sent Jesus for me before I was ever a Christian. He sent Jesus to take my sins, but it's not automatic you're not automatically saved. Christ's blood is sufficient to save every person, but it's not automatic. Every prodigal son and daughter must come to this point where they come to their senses and they go, this way of living is awful and I don't want it anymore. It's not fulfilling. It brings suffering. It hurts others. It hurts me. Be you or I for my sins, you for your sins, or it's going to be Christ as our substitute in our place. And God is so eager for you to not be destroyed. He didn't make you for destruction. The scriptures say the hell was created for the devil and his angels. It's not made for you. He didn't make you for destruction. He made you for life. Eternal life with him in fellowship with him. He loves you. In fact, he loves you so much. That's why there was even a choice in the first place.
And when we repent of our sins and we believe in Jesus Christ, we are able to come to him. And this is exactly what happens. What happens to the prodigal son happens for you and I. And if you haven't met Jesus yet, know that this is the event that God wants to have with you. Verse 19, but I still want to know you and be close to you. Verse 20, so he got up and went to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. Isn't that good news? <laughs> that that's part of the story? He runs back to his father and what's the first thing you notice? What stands out to me is the father is ready for him and is running to him, running to him. In fact, John's epistle says we love because he first loved us, right? Jesus came and bore all sin before you and I were even here sinning. He loved us before we even existed. In fact, even before Jesus existed, it says the scriptures say that he was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. For Abraham was, I am. They already planned this, the Father and the Son and the Spirit. It was already done. In other words, he knew we'd fall and he made a way. And he did so because he loves us. And he comes running after us. Really what I believe happens is we start to come back to him and what we notice is he's already pursuing us. What good news is that? And he comes and he hugs him and he puts a coat on him and a ring on him. And he's filled with compassion and he kisses him. This son had become fatherless. He ran away from home. He became an orphan by his own choices. But the father was always willing and ready to continue being his dad. Whatever job you've got for me, I'll be happy to be there. And yet he doesn't do that, does he? He says, here, have fine clothes. I'm going to kiss you. I'm going to hug you. And look at what continues on. Verse 21. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Aren't you glad that grace is not based on worthiness? That Jesus is worthy on our behalf. Verse 22. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. That's salvation. That dad runs out to you. Hallelujah. Dad runs out to you does not make you a slave, does not make you a janitor, gives you the finest clothing, ring on your finger, kisses you, kills the fattened calf for you. I don't know about you, but I love steak. So this sounds like an excellent celebration to me. And in fact, I'm reminded, how did Jesus start his ministry? What was his first miracle? It's turning the water into wine. God enjoys celebrating with us, not drunkenness, but celebration, celebrating that his children have come home and that they're adopted into his family. Hallelujah. This son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is what the Bible teaches us. And we're going to see this in Romans 8. The Bible teaches that you and I are orphans who have 
emancipated ourselves from our father's family through sin. We left. Cursed is the ground because of you. He didn't kick us out. We left. Do you understand? And because of what Jesus has done, because Jesus bore all sin, just like as we're taking communion, his body was broken for our healing. His blood was shed for the remission of sins. Because of everything that he's done for us, I'm able to be totally released from everything I did wrong and have this prodigal son experience. And the Bible calls it adoption into sonship. Turn with me to Romans 8, verses 14 through 17. It says this, for those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him, we cry, Abba, Father. Understand that word, Abba, in the Greek, it's, it's dad. It's a very affectionate, familial word. Dad. This is the relationship that God has with us. Not some cold, distant, ethereal being in the clouds. Dad, who hugs us and kisses us and cherishes us and wants us to have eternal life through his son. What a good dad. Adopted into sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. Verse 16, the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. I want to remind you of the older brother. We didn't read it, but it's there in the prodigal son story. The older brother gets pretty upset about the other brother coming home after having lived in so much sin and the father is so kind to him. And there's something that really stands out to me in that story. The father says to the older brother, he says, son, everything I have is yours. Whether you're a long way off or you've kind of grown up in the Christian church, the truth is we've all done wrong. The father forgives all of us, no matter the distance. And everything the father has is ours because of this adoption. In fact, that's how legal adoption works on earth. When my wife and I adopted our son, what happened was he legally became my kin. He has a right to everything I own if I pass away. When I pass away, he is an inheritor of my estate. He is an heir and a son. And this is what the scriptures say, that we are legally no longer indebted to sin. That is canceled out through what Jesus has done. It's been paid and we are adopted and we are heirs of everything that is God's. And notice he points out that can include sufferings because when you're living for Jesus and doing good, this world resists God. Of course, we always have victory, but there's resistance. We had a little resistance with this morning and the cyclists who were doing their thing this morning, both the pastor and I couldn't find the church. We couldn't get here. We kept hitting dead end roads. A little bit of suffering this morning. We got to preach. There's resistance to ministry. And yet that's not the only thing we inherit. We inherit the victory. We inherit the provision. We inherit all the good things of our father that Jesus possesses. They're given to us as well. If that's good news, say amen. Amen. Now continue on in Romans 8, verses 31 through 35, same chapter. 
says this, verse 31. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Paul's asking a rhetorical question. Nothing can separate you from the love of Jesus Christ. And this includes sins committed after belief. This is an area where the devil tries to bring shame on us. You didn't suddenly become unadopted because you did something wrong. It's not how it works in our earthly legal system. It's not how it works in God's legal system. In fact, John's epistle says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's faithful and just. He will keep his word because he's just and he's faithful to his word. He's gonna do what he said. That means you can be forgiven and are forgiven because the blood has been spilled and paid for you already in advance. But also notice this. No, if God is judge and God doesn't condemn you, who can condemn you? No one. The scriptures say that the devil is the accuser of the brethren. But we see here that God's son, Jesus Christ, stands at the right hand of the father and does what? Intercedes on our behalf. He is our defense attorney, always reminding the judge forever that my blood has paid that debt. And every time this prosecuting attorney comes in and tries to prosecute, the defense attorney, who happens to be the son of the judge, says, <laughs> says no, that's not going to fly because I paid it. So there's no condemnation. Hallelujah. This is what adoption into sonship is. It's all of this. You're inheriting all of this. It's provision. It's forgiveness. It's legal rights in God's kingdom. Hallelujah. Nothing can separate us from this love. And if you turn to Galatians 4 and Ephesians 1, I don't have time to go into them today. For the sake of time, you can write them down. Galatians 4 and Ephesians 1. The scriptures also get into our adoption into sonship. In fact, it's repeated so many times throughout scripture that I wanted to read each one to you, but just know this. That your salvation and adoption are the same thing in the Bible. It's almost like when we adopt someone in this earthly life, it's almost like a sacrament. It's so close to salvation. It, it illustrates what God has done for us so clearly. And it's our father's heart. Our father is the father to the fatherless. Why do we want to bring everyone we can to Christ Church Port Orange? Why do we want to invite every single person? Because Jesus has died for all. And it doesn't matter if you're close or far off. You can come. And the father will celebrate your return and adopt you back into his family. So let's turn to James chapter one, verse 27. It says this. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. To look after orphans and widows in their distress 
and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. True religion, according to God's word, is to look after orphans and widows in their distress. Oh, and they are distressed. My wife and I didn't fully understand it. She has two adopted sisters, my sisters-in-law. Her father is adopted. We saw some of it through that experience, but once we dove in and started to help those who weren't adopted, who had been in foster care even longer, who'd experienced longer periods of trauma, this became very clear that these children and those without a family are experiencing a great deal of distress. The sex trafficking industry is a multi-billion dollar industry in the United States. The government estimates that between 50 to up to 90% of sex trafficking victims were in child welfare. That's based on several studies, several surveys. 50 to nine, one of the surveys was 90%. Nine out of 10 sex trafficking victims are orphans. 25,000 children who are not adopted in the United States age out every year. And on their 18th birthday, they're given the boot. They're out of child welfare. You're a legal adult. Goodbye. And 20% of them are homeless for their 18th birthday. We get to have a wonderful birthday with Jesse, but some get the streets on their birthday. And see, what God's calling us to do is to remember that. We love having birthdays. We love having time together and being a family. And what God is saying is, hey, remember these children that don't have that and ensure that they can. That stability and that security, ensure that your neighbors have that as well. That's God's call to us as the church. That's pure and undefiled religion to look after them in their distress. Doesn't mean it's all the same thing for all of us. In fact, we're gonna talk about five different ways that you can get involved. I'm certain there's even more. But it does mean that we're all called in some way. James 1.27 applies to all of us in some way. And our duty is to respond to the Spirit and to say, here am I, Lord, send me. What would you have me do? And to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Obviously, that's to stop sinning and not live in wickedness, not keep doing the things that resulted in you living in a pigsty before you came home, right? You don't want to go back to the pigsty. It's gross. (laughs) Have you ever been to one? You ever done any farming? It's very smelly. It's very muddy. You don't want to go there. But the way we actually remain out of sin and living in sin, listen, fill your time with doing the good works of Jesus Christ and you will not have time anymore for doing the evil works of the devil. Use your time for God's kingdom. Be busy. Do three services on Sunday instead of one. by works. We know that by heart. It's like John 3.16 for us. But Ephesians 2.10 says what? We're created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. In other words, out of gratitude for this free gift of salvation, we're so thankful for being adopted that we get busy doing the good that God has done for us. Everything I've experienced about God, God wants others to experience. And guess what? You are the vessel of Jesus Christ in the earth. 
When people encounter you, they're encountering Jesus. You have the spirit of the living God inside of you. Jesus, in fact, said, it's better if I leave so that I can send the spirit to you. Why? Because it's like me being multiplied into millions and billions of people. You want the spirit in you. Because then when people encounter someone with the spirit, they're encountering Christ himself. And you can bring them into the same goodness of God that you've experienced by encountering Jesus. So how do we keep ourselves from being polluted by the world? We get involved serving orphans. The two are related. That's why James puts them together. And in fact, in the same chapter, James says, do not be hearers of the word only, but be doers of the word. Be people who hear God's word. And then by that energy and inspiration that it gives you, go and do good works for other people that are in need. The word is alive and active. We need it. And then we use it to go and do what it says to do. So how do we look after orphans as we wind this down? Number one, show them compassion. This is in Hosea chapter 14, verse three. God has compassion for the fatherless. What's compassion? It's seeing the struggles and the suffering and being moved by it unto action. Jesus often in the gospels, it says he was moved with compassion when he encountered people. So he'd heal them or he'd give to them or he'd minister to them. He'd do something for them because compassion moved him. Does it mean that they were perfect? No. See, if you make policy or some sort of requirements, the determining factor of whether you're going to help or not, they'll end up failing the requirements because we all fail requirements. So that's why this has to be by compassion. Thanks be to God, it wasn't based on performance and requirements and law. It was based on the fact that he was compassionate towards me that I was adopted. So show them compassion. Defend their rights. What's that? Make sure that the trafficking industry and other various crises are not continuing to happen to them. Support their human rights. Defend them. Do what you can and get involved in some way that protects them and ensures their rights as a human being made in the image of God, precious in his sight. Nice clothes. We like to eat a good meal. Like the steak dinner we talked about earlier. We like to have nice things. We like to live in a comfortable, safe house. And none of that is wrong. The scriptures say that God is pleased to give you the kingdom and everything that he has. It's here for us to enjoy. There's nothing wrong with enjoying life. But what God has called us to do is to share those same things that we enjoy with others. This is literally the definition of love your neighbor as yourself. Right? If you like having nice clothing, ensure your neighbor has nice clothing. If you like having good food, ensure your neighbor has good food. If you like having shelter and a family, ensure your neighbor has that. If you appreciate when somebody has defended your rights or stood up for you, do the same for your neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. This fulfills the law and the prophets. It's what God's entire law is all about, is care about others and not just oneself. I'll care about you, is what God says to us. You care about others. Number four, give them a family. Psalm 68, five and six says it explicitly. We will, he will set the lonely in families. That's what he likes to do. With 25,000 aging out, 
Legacy is doing our part. We want to help be a net that catches them when they haven't been adopted. But we want to encourage more and more believing families to adopt. They need to hear the gospel as much as they need their bodily needs met. They need both. And we can do that through adoption. When you adopt a child and welcome them into your family, you're doing exactly what God did for you. And notice how Jesus takes care of us. He cares about both the spirit and the body. Why would he do that? Because God loves both the spirit that he made. We need his word. Man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And our body needs to be taken care of as well. It's not just preaching that Jesus did. He healed the sick. He fed the hungry. We're to be like him. We're feeding. We're clothing. We're adopting. We're making them part of our family. Maybe you can't adopt right now. You can consider fostering. Fostering is not adoption. Fostering is where you're helping take care of the child while the parent tries to get their rights, their parental rights, re-secured because they lost them for some reason. A lot of times that's a great opportunity to minister to the parents because whoever the foster family is does get contact with the parents and you can minister the gospel to them. In fact, I've heard a number of testimonies and Simone can back this up of, of, of foster families that connected with the original biological parents and were able to minister Jesus to them during that season. You could also mentor. You sign up for mentorship. Mentorship is where you spend some time each week, typically with the child. They don't live at your house. You haven't adopted them, but you are being a good influence, a positive, safe adult in their life. Mentoring is a great option. You can also consider volunteering for an organization like ours or donating to an organization like ours. And I say that because every day that you go to work and every day that you're doing your, you know, daily tasks, what you do as a profession, you can add so much joy and excitement to that in knowing that every day that you go to work, you are helping to ensure that children aging out of foster care have a home and a family. So your giving directly enables us to do that. We don't charge rent at Legacy Housing. Because in addition to all the trauma that they've gone through, we do not want to add the potential for eviction.